You are now listening to the Team OD Podcast, where conversations are centered around anything and everything outdoors related. Welcome to today's episode. Hey, if you're seeing our faces, you know what that means. It's Wednesday, and uh, we have another guest with us, and this week from Oklahoma. We're not going out of states like we did last week, and uh, we have John Rayfield with us from the OKC. OKC Fisheries Biologist, um, so uh, and of course Gunner um, and Taylor. So, which I don't think yeah. I need to introduce us every time, but if you guys forgot yeah. our name. So, uh, anyways, John, um, let's roll into it. Let's go. What your job is and kind of what you do. All right. Um, so my name is John Rayfield. I am the Fisheries Biologist for Oklahoma City. So I uh, maintain Oklahoma City's well, I oversee me. Um, Oklahoma City's fisheries management program, as well as the duck hunting season. Uh, um, so uh, Oklahoma City maintains one of the most comprehensive urban fisheries management programs, uh, possibly in the nation. We are we have H.B. Uh, Parsons hatch, uh, Fish Hatchery, which is the only uh, municipally run fish hatchery in the state. Uh, we monitor and maintain about 7,000 230 acres of fishable water that includes Hefner, Draper, Overholzer, and nine close to home bodies of water, uh, lakes and things, as well as putting on a bunch of youth education programs during the weekend. Uh, last year, we taught about 1,149 kids. Oh, wow. Uh, we had intro, yeah, introduction to fishing as well as, uh, you know, juggling duck, hunt, uh, duck hunting. And trying to improve regulations that way. So on the fishery side, um, let's go into detail kind of what you do there. Um, so main base camp is HB uh, Parsons Fish Hatchery. Over the course of a year, we'll about rear close to uh, half a million fish to be uh, stocked throughout Oklahoma City fishable waters. Um, <clears throat> when we're not doing the hatchery side, we're sampling the bodies of water to make sure that what we're stocking is actually surviving, um, that the populations of other species are doing well. We'll also, um, you know, prep for those kids' classes so that we can help spread the love of fishing to the next generation. Right. So, so what uh, you're talking about, um, you guys raise fish. What are the main fish that you raise to introduce to the waters? So we start off with our walleye. We'll raise, uh, get about 200,000 of those. Uh, oh, wow. Then uh, once we get, we get them as fry, and then we'll raise them up to an inch to an inch and a half. And then once they're there, we'll stock them into Hefner. And as soon as we're done with those guys, the hybrid striped bass will be coming in. And same thing, they're, they're fry. We raise those guys up. Once they're an inch, an inch and a half, they're going straight to overholzer. Um, and then... Later in the fall, we'll start getting our uh, catfish, and we're just pumping them full of feed as fast as possible, trying to get them to you know, get fattened up. Once those temperatures drop and they stop feeding, then we'll uh, harvest them, and put them in all the close-to-home ponds, and then year-round we'll have uh, about 20,000 sunfish that we yeah. are constantly feeding. Uh, we'll be using them for supplemental stockings before our kids classes so that, you know, 
those kids have a better shot of uh, catching their first fish. Right. Uh, Catfish-wise, you're doing channel cats, blue cats. Channel cats, the easiest. Um, why are they the easiest? That's what they tell me. But, the you know, it's just blue cats get much larger and take a little bit longer to grow. Mm -hmm. You can get those channel cats to grow a little bit faster. Um, so I've always heard that blue cats, I mean, they do well in, like, you know, your lakes and all that. But when it comes to smaller lakes... So you're talking about like um, Hefner, um, or that's what I'm using for size comparison. Like in something like Hefner, these blue cats do great, but I've always heard when it comes to smaller lakes that the channel cats do great, and that's and I'm talking about breeding-wise. Yeah. Uh, do you know the whys at all? Not directly, but when we do our electro fishing and everything, it's very rare to get a blue cat anything smaller than 20 acres i think i've only got one in a 20 acre pond yeah um you know we get massive blue cats but when we do our uh, experimental gillnets at hefner like we don't catch blue cats because they're just so big uh -huh. they just bounce right off the nets but wow. if we uh electro fish for them yeah we'll get some massive size blue cats especially out at overholzer yeah yeah i'll go ahead <laughs> I was going to ask what the biggest, like, if you can recall, what do you think the biggest uh, blue cat was that you guys ended up electro fishing was? Like, ballpark. Uh, you know, I can, we got, like, you're looking at two feet, maybe three, uh, not three, but, you know, we're going to look at some nice size ones. I think we had, when we were doing some electro fishing with the state at Overholzer, uh, we had some flatheads that we couldn't even get in the nets. Like we're talking about like state records, but the only way you're going to catch them is if you're fishing like right out in the middle. I have to yeah. make note of that. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we had, uh, we had the state come out with, um, and we helped them out and they brought out all the electro fishing boats and everything. And so when you guys are shocking them, what are you looking for or what are you looking at? Yeah, you know, it depends. So if we're shocking for elect, uh, if we're shocking for catfish, we're going to set it at uh, uh, different standards than if we were going to go for like sunfish. Um, it's just basically uh, physoclistus versus physo stomach, in my opinion. Um, just how the gas bladders are. Um, physo, uh, gosh, I always mix them up. But I think it's physoclistus. Well, actually, they can their gas bladder is actually uh, connected to their esophagus. So they can mm -hmm. actually belch. So you can see this with like gar and everything. When we start electro fishing, they'll come up, they'll roll, gas comes out, and then they sink right to the bottom. So we don't really get those numbers when we're um, electro fishing, but when we go for, um, but we'll get the uh, we'll get the sunfish coming up because they're uh, the the opposite, and their gas bladder it has to go through their blood system to actually fill up that. So they uh, end up floating and staying to the surface. It makes it easier for us to catch them. When you're catching them, what uh, data are you getting on them? Uh, links, weights. Uh, then we compare them to previous data and just seeing how the growth are. We don't try to um, go for ages too much with the electro fishing just because of the fact that we can re uh, release them. Um, 
Now, when it comes to like gill nets and such, we can age them because usually the guys that get caught in those end up dying. Mm-hmm. So then we'll go for um, ages. We'll also do a gut analysis to see what they're feeding on. And then uh, just a few more things that we can use to help us judge how well the fishery is doing. Right. So um, when you're saying, so when you, when you shock the fish, a lot of people think they, you actually are just killing all of them die. That's not true, right? No, no, no. Uh, electro fishing sounds like the most brutal thing possible, but it's actually uh, has the least amount of mortality. Uh, it's the gill nets that you could say. That's why we, uh, we use them, but we don't want to, I don't want to use them too much. Right. Um, the electro fishing, I got no problem with just going and knocking it out multiple times. We'll, um, um, after trout season, we'll go out, we'll electro fish and we'll do uh, recaps. So we catch them, we'll cut off a, a part of their fin. And then the next day we'll come out. And if we get to a certain percentage of recaps, you know, we've already shocked these guys up before. Yeah. And, um, we can get an estimate of what the population is at that time. And Do you so, guys like what? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you got, uh, like what times a year are you doing these things at? like, you know, the gill netting and stuff like you're gill netting different times a year and are you electrofishing other times of the year? Yeah. Like stuff like that. Like, so yeah. gill, uh, well, we'll electrofish for trout right after trout season. Just go and hammer it. Uh, for our typical electro fishing, it's, I believe it's 60 to 75 degrees, the water temp. Once it gets past that, we stop. Then we'll get into our, um, get into our tandem hoop nets. And that's mainly for our channel cats. And we'll do those at our smaller ponds. Uh, put those out. Then after that, once we start getting into, uh, fall, we're getting into our uh, shad nets. We'll start stringing those up, and that's uh, September, October, I think. October, yeah. And then uh, November and December, we've got our experimental gill nets out there trying to uh, get your walleye hybrids, shad, uh, anything that goes into the net, pretty much we're going to take data on. So, uh, how do you guys judge like what needs to go where like what how many are going to release here and how many are going to release at a different spot is that is that what you're looking at when you're shocking them at all or well shocking oh with the shocking and the electro um i'm kind of just right now we're just trying to get a baseline of what's going on in these bodies yeah. as i came in i've only been in oklahoma city for about three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I was out in the North Atlantic, so completely different fishery and everything else. So we're trying to really get a baseline that we can use to uh, judge and better stock. So we're kind of starting really making that uh, foundation for us. Kind of use uh, Martin Nature Park as our um, control because that one isn't actually being fished by the public. So then we can use that to compare other bodies of water and see, okay, this, like, what's the fishing pressure kind of stuff? Because we don't have the ability to go out and do krill surveys where we ask anglers if they're 
like um, harvesting or anything else like that. So in your time here in your three to four years, have you seen an increase of uh, quality of fish at some of these lakes or? Uh... No, we still haven't collected enough data for that. You know, it's, yeah, you know, you get two data points, uh, you get a one data point a year. So you know, it takes, takes a few years to really build up that chart so you can actually see some trends. Are you seeing an increase in people coming to fish, I guess? Um, like the fishing pressure, is that? Like, no, have you seen um, again, we don't, um, at the moment, I don't have the, uh, I gotcha. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. We don't have the staff to really be trying to get all that population. stuff. We can monitor the population of fish. That's easy. Uh, yeah. trying to get actual people. That's, that's another difficult thing. So we're, um, I'm looking into using like sending out surveys with the fishing permits and okay. seeing if we can get some help with the anglers. So uh, when you talked about hunting, you said you do a lot of the duck hunting stuff. What uh, what does that entail? Uh, working with the state, basically we want to uh, do some a little improvements. So far, the rules have been kind of the same for a few decades now. Uh, we got these blinds that are you know you get a you get a blind spot and you build your like these semi-permanent blinds mm -hmm. and then you're supposed to take them down but as you guys know the um like technology with hunting has vastly improved over the few years and now guys can pop up a blind you know in a few seconds and then take it down quite easily now camo's gotten a lot better too that you can just sit in the reeds and you're almost invisible. So building these huge, massive blinds costs a lot of money and, you know, taking them, pulling them up and taking them down is kind of destructive to the environment. So I'm trying to push away from that and go to a uh, leave no trace policy. Yeah. What, so do you, do you monitor the like activity? Are you looking at any data with the duck kind of stuff? Like, I'm sure that's difficult, obviously. I, at, at the, I wish right now it's basically we put, uh, we should see how many people are actually coming to the duck blind drawing and we compare that to okay. the previous years. We are seeing, uh, we have seen an in increase in the past two or three years, but compare that to how many actual people are going out hunting um, and what their uh, returns are. Uh, the only way I'm going to do that is I'm going to have to start coming up with, uh, again, surveys. And we just hit everyone that bought a uh, city hunting license, uh, permit and see where they go from that. Yeah. But, you know, it's a staff of uh, me and two part-timers. So we're kind of everywhere. So yeah. is, uh, is the staff or are you guys paid off of uh, grants or are you guys paid by the city of Oklahoma or of OKC? We're paid by the city, um, the city. Um, mm -hmm. We really try to get our uh, fishing permit sales up so that, you know, that's where a lot of uh, that money goes to the general fund and then we get paid off of that kind of stuff. Right. Oh, I was going to ask about the trout. Where do you guys get, do you guys get your trout the same way like ODWC does? Or do you guys? Get yeah. Yeah, yeah. So every three years, the ODWC puts out, a, uh, puts out for bids. Um, mm -hmm. 
guys bid for them. And then once they get it, no, I got to do the three, uh, quote, purchase every year kind of stuff. But, you know, usually the person that bid the lowest for the state is going to be the same guy that's going to give us the lowest bid. So we uh, we basically piggyback off their um, quotes and get the trout. So they pay for two-thirds of the amount of trout that come in to the city. And then Where we do you guys stock them? Right now, it's Route 66 in Edwards. We moved it from Delisi. Um, that move uh, we saw with the krill surveys and just public outreach, like a 98% uh, approval rating with that one mm-hmm. from everyone we uh, interviewed. Um, Delisi Youth Park, it's like 20 acres with an average depth of four feet and not even a mile of fishable shoreline. Oh, wow. But when we put it at, um, when you compare Edwards and Route 66 together, it's only 15 like surface acres, but they hold just as much water. And, like, and they got over a mile and a half of shoreline combined. You know, I think Edwards, when full, is almost nine feet deep, and then Route 66 is eight. So, really, a, really a significant difference and makes it so- a lot better fishing. So if someone wants to go fishing uh, one of those lakes here or is listening to this, what do they need to do to be legal and what do you recommend using? Um, you know, state, city fishing permits, uh, state licensed city fishing permits, unless they're under the age of 16. And if you're over the age of 62, you don't need a city uh, fishing permit, yeah, 62 and over. And then um, if you're 60% disabled, you don't need a city fishing permit as well. Also, the city does not require a city permit on the first Saturday of each month. So our permits are there really to help fund our program. They're not meant to really exclude people from fishing. Where can they get the city permits at? Just go to okc.gov backslash fishing. You can go to Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's, or you can go to... um, where you pay your water bill and everything at the main, uh, main office. I think it's uh, 420 West Main. Do you have any secrets for anyone that uh, is listening to how to catch them? Or how do you recommend to catch them? Patience. Patience. So, uh, we try to do the kids' classes, and they're not patient enough for the trout and everything. Um, and honestly, I hear a lot of things. I got power bait. I got uh, corn, yellow, no blue. Uh, then, you know, they got the rooster tails. Uh-huh. I swear I saw this one guy, he was fly fishing and he was just using like a uh, little woolly booger. Yeah. And he was just nailing them. I, I don't think he could keep the fish off the thing. <laughs> uh, like he was just walking the shoreline, just going at it and at it and at it. And like, he was dialed in that day. So. There you go. Just gonna write that down. Oh yeah, no, I I felt really (laughs) bad when I had to ask him questions. Like, hey, can you stop like doing like so good right now and start asking me like answering some questions for me? (laughs) Uh, When Gunner and I always go to Tishomingo to the um, Blue River, we do really good on mock flies. So if anyone's going out there to try, you might want to try that. So um, anywhere we go where there's stock. Um, trout, I feel like that's kind of a go-to. 
as well. So oh, that's yeah, my you secret. Could use the secret sauce. You could use the secret sauce from Tani Como, that uh, pellet, that pellet fly. <laughs> yeah. The, that guy in the, in the fly shop goes. That guy in the fly shop goes. Look, I got this secret fly. It's like, what is it? And it was just this little brown pellet. He goes, it's my pellet fly. It's like, okay. <laughs> well, this, all the fish are raised on pellets, so as soon as they see that, they know it's their feed. Yeah, yeah I caught one on it. I caught a big trout on it. Yeah. That's what those mop flies kind of look like. They just emulate yeah. a piece of food or a worm so what is your normal um work or i shouldn't say normal because i understand your weeks probably change but what does uh give us like a kind of a picture of what your week of work will look like uh wake up look at the weather uh pray that it gets better and then uh <laughs> you know get in read some emails um and then basically get to it we uh plan everything kind of get a idea of what we need to know to do like during the year what we need to get done during each month and then come in all right we need to get this done we look at the weeks like the weather's looking good for this weather's looking good for that let's try to hammer it get those things done because they'll be like you know, easier to do and then try to fill in the rest as we go kind of stuff um do you guys have a lot of problem um with wind up there because all those lakes are pretty open without a lot of uh wind breaks oh, yeah. no uh, i'll say wind is probably a huge issue yeah no so um there are two things that will keep us from going out in the water and that's going to be uh, uh lightning and wind so once it starts once i start seeing gusts of about like like 30 that you know that's what that's white caps out mm -hmm. on the center, and i'm like you know you're not paying us enough <laughs> like, you know, I'm a, I'm a confident swimmer, but you know, I, I like to stay in the boat. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that. Uh, I've gone by Hefner quite a bit of times and it's, it'd just be barely blowing and it's just out there white capping. Oh, yeah. That's that's when, we go, when we go like white water rafting, that's what they tell us. They're like, number one rule. Everyone's like, what is it? Stay in the boat. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my uh, first year, we're out doing a zebra mussel toes and uh, a front came in a little sooner than the uh, weatherman had told us. And we're in our, we're in our Skeeter. So this is our backup boat and it's got a 15 horsepower. We're on Hefner and like the chop just gets up there and like, so I'm tacking it back. And one of my coworkers is like, well, the dock's over there. And I'm like, yeah, you don't want me to go straight to the dock. Yeah. <laughs> it was that bad. We are like, just like, just, just trying to hold on. I've had some interesting, sooner it gets bad on yeah. certain corners of it. And I've been very confident going across that thing and lost confidence really fast <laughs> going across <laughs> it. I will say that. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been at uh, Ulagal runs uh, almost straight north and south, and I've been going out there, and uh, it caught me on a windy day like that. I was around the bend, and uh, the wind was supposed to pick up about 6 or 7 while well, it picked up about 4 o'clock, and uh, my buddy with me, he was uh, gripping the bar that's in my center console, and his knuckles are just white, and I got done with it, and he goes, I have to tell you, he said, I was a little scared. He said, 
those waves, you made it the smoothest ride that I could even imagine. But the way, they were three, three, four foot waves, and I was out there in my 19 foot boat. And like you said, you couldn't take them straight on. You had to angle. I was just zigzagging all through there. But I uh, know it's it's pretty scary in our Oklahoma waters. People take it for uh, granted on a smooth day what it can get to real fast. So uh, you've mentioned quite a bit about R3. Can you kind of go into detail what that means and what it is? Um, R3 is basically uh, a program, like just a way of thinking to uh, recruit, retain, and reactivate uh, hunting and fishermen. Um, really, it's kind of a way of thinking about how we can um, get more people active into the sport. So uh, with recruitment and uh, reactivation, I kind of like the fact that we got our youth hooked on fishing glasses. Um, we're recruiting young kids, getting them their first opportunity to uh, participate in, you know, just recreational fishing. But we're also reactivating their parents that haven't been fishing since the, you know, their parents took them out. Yeah. And then that gets them really interested into, um, you know, seeing it as a family opportunity that they can go out and do more of. Mm -hmm. uh, retaining is going to be a little bit more difficult. That's something like putting on, uh, you know, like tournaments, trying to keep up with the Facebook, uh, sending out, like getting people really interested in trying something different, keeping it seem fresh and new. Um, cause you know, with today, you know, there are so many other things out there that really just trying to keep them in, uh, engaged into uh, the hunting and fishing and just outdoors is, uh, you know, getting harder and harder. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if people are listening, another generic question on this, where can people kind of find where these activities are and uh, where they can plug in? Well, you know, you can look for your, uh, every, like your state agencies all have their own kind of, um, outdoor education programs going on. You all have some schools will do it. You also, you know, I don't think many uh, municipalities have theirs, but heck, you know, go on YouTube. It's free and you can learn a lot of skills from there and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, it's hard, but it's not, not impossible. Yeah. Where can they find out um, if they have a kid in Oklahoma city where you guys host where, or, like a schedule of when and where you guys host your events? Oh, our um, easiest one would just be to go uh, Facebook. Uh, we're Fish OKC. Then that will send you right to the city's webpage, which is oklahomacity.gov backslash fishing. Click on that big browser button, and that's going to send you to all of our events. We're going to have some posters, and we'll put them up all throughout all the metropolitan areas in the city uh, libraries, uh, bait and tackle shops. Uh, we try to get that word out there as much as possible, um, make it easier for you. But you can also go to um, the ODWC or Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation, and they have their own programs. I know they put on a lot of derbies and jinks. There's some derbies in Yukon, everything else like that. Do you guys do this like every other Saturday? Are you doing it like every Saturday or like how does that work you typically? Uh, so, yeah. So we started off like I came in right at COVID. 
So we were trying to get kids showing up and we, we'd have like, I think, you know, we'd have like three or four classes and we'd have like 12 people. Like I think, <laughs> I think my smallest, like my smallest class, my smallest class was one kid. And oh, they're wow. dead. All right. Well, we decided to do a, a, a fishing class during father's day and we didn't advertise it very well, but, uh, we, we, we made sure that that kid caught so much fish that day. I think he was uh, getting up to like 15, like sunfish. And he's like, I'm tired. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got it. So, um, yeah, but no, we were, uh, we were doing them um, last year. We were doing them every other uh, weekend. Um, and, you know, it was just the better our advertising, the more people would show up. We got, we would have like 30 people signed up, but then 80 kids like showed up. So it was, uh, uh, we decided to change things up for this year. We're going to go straight to a derby setting so I can use fewer staff, but I can teach a lot more kids at one, uh, at any time. So. Are you guys uh, supplying the poles or do the kids have to bring their own? Nope. The kids actually um, don't have to bring anything. We are um, fully supported by the Police Athletic League, uh, Lucky Lure Bait and Tackle. Um, so Police Athletic League pays for the rods and reels. We got 1,250 rods this year. We're hoping to get rid of all of them. And then Lucky Lure provides us all, you know, uh, bait and tackle. So we get J-hooks, bobbers, and worms from them. And the split shot. It's nice working on trying to get some more stuff so we can give them out. Like, I would love to be able to give out the kids like some fish and tackle uh, boxes and everything. Yeah. So there's like absolutely no excuse at that point. But yeah, it's going to take trying to find the right kind of sponsors and everything else like that. Are you guys looking for sponsors from like bait stores? Um, kind of who need who are you guys looking for to be your sponsors? Well, right now, uh, anyone and everyone but we're trying to put together some kind of uh sponsor plan mm-hmm. so that when we go and approach somebody just you know sounds a lot better and we can have like this is you give us this we'll give you that you know right kind of stuff is that something you guys are going to have out soon or is that kind of work in progress you don't it's, really know when it's a work in progress you know i was um trying to work on our website redoing the website and then and i called and they're like yeah oh yeah no don't worry about that we're gonna get a new website in like six months i'm like oh great yeah (laughs) so you know um got a lot of irons in the fire right yeah it it sounds like to me you got a lot on your plate and uh more on your plate than you you can eat at once is kind of sounds like to me (laughs) So, it's but, uh, what you, you guys oh, time management on. is the time management is right yeah. here. Yeah, I was like, I feel like you have a lot you can do, but in limited time. So I applaud mm-hmm. you for what you can do because that sounds stressful at times to me. Yeah. Um. So another question I have is, if someone's listening, if they want to, can they reach out to you if they want to be a sponsor? Oh yeah. Like so, do you uh, is your contact? I'm guessing on the. Um, yeah, if you go, I, yeah, you go to our Facebook page at Fish OKC. I have my cell phone. I got my email. Uh, email me is best. 
because you might catch me when I'm out in the field and I will probably forget. You've told me a lot of involvement helps your situation on if you need, if you guys want something to change. Um, So if there's a person listening in Oklahoma city, um, what's some ways they can do if they have something that they think could help or benefit, what can they do to kind of push that issue? Well, first off, we got a lot of bodies of water to manage and the hatchery and everything else. Um, I always say, if I don't know about it, I can't fix it. So contacting me is probably one of the easiest ways. But if you really want to make a big dent, you can come to the Game and Fish Commission meetings. So these are the first Monday of each month at 1.30 at Will Rogers Gardens. And it's not just me there. It's my boss. It's my boss's boss. It's my boss's boss's bosses <laughs> and everything. We're all there. And, you know, you can bring up whatever you need to get done. Utilities are there and everything. And, you know, we can get things done. Like um, I had one guy come up. He brought up uh, about the boat ramps at Hefner. And lo and behold, uh, a few weeks later, uh, utilities was on it, fixing the boat ramps. I had a guy call me up and basically said they put a, uh, a no boat buoy right in front of a um, boat ramp and basically made it impossible to use the boat ramp. Yeah. Just one call. And then less than 24 hours later, that buoy was changed. And so it's like, it's easy. It's just trying to get the community to reach out and let us know. Right what we can do to make sure that their uh, fishing experience is better. So uh, if they want to come to a meeting, do they have to um, put like, put what they want to bring up or can they just show up and talk they about show it? Up, there? They can, um, everyone gets three minutes to speak. Um, it, it's depending on which commission you get to and everything. They'll show up, they sign in, they just write down a little thing. It's like, I would like to speak when they bring up the, uh, uh, thing from the public and then they get their uh, three minutes to address the commission mm-hmm. and we move from there awesome what is so um what are the different things like you brought up boat ramps and stuff can they bring can people bring up like oh i'd Anything like to see i'd like to see this in there i can i'd like to see this here stuff like that that's yep. cool. anything anything revolving around hunting fishing and boating um so like any outdoor activity kind of stuff you know i've had uh had to deal with guys calling the uh, commissioners complaining about people feeding geese and ducks and all that over at hefner and uh dealing with that on and off so anything and everything that you want to talk about so if you're listening feeding the geese oh oh yeah no like (laughs) sorry that's 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 a subject right there so uh, I went out there after a game of fish commissioner had gotten one too many calls. And uh, I was literally just sitting there for you know an hour and a half. And I was watching some guy come out. And these people thought they were the only ones that were keeping these ducks alive. And they just dropped like 40-pound 40, like 40 bags of deer feed like right out there. They'd feed all these ducks. And as soon as like it was done, they'd leave like – Five, ten minutes later, someone else would come up, open up a bag, and then dump it right there. Like these ducks were living high on the hog. Like, <laughs> the boat, the guy, like, this guy owns his boat right near it. And he's like, 
all these ducks do is eat and take dumps right on my phone. <laughs> I am cleaning constantly. You know, talk to the police officer. Like, what can you do about this? Like, I, I can I try, but you know, some of these people, they don't even think ducks can fly. And I'm like, yeah. Oh God. They can't when they weigh 40 pounds and their wings are only supposed to yeah. move 10 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> like the guy we had on last week, he went and this is a story we should have brought up. He to talk about people that didn't even know ducks could fly. He went to DC for some reason. He was the one that got picked to go uh, pick up DC representatives from South Dakota and take them up there. And they were driving by cows and he was at he was like man you guys have big dogs here in south dakota <laughs> like if that's just not like a testament to like <laughs> just what some, people don't know yeah, yeah what people don't know <laughs> no like so my dad always jokes about um he was taking some uh work with some staff and they were going through uh russia and everything and uh, georgia and this lady on the crew didn't like she hadn't been overseas in the first time. And she's like, everyone's so healthy here. They're just drinking water. And he's like, that's, that's not water. Everyone's just chugging vodka and she thinks it's water. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So um, the gist of it is if you're listening and you're want change, uh, kind of speak up, go find, go plug in where you can to help. Um, John, and it's two part-time guys. So there's two guys trying to run the whole area of Oklahoma city. If you guys know how big that area is, um, you kind of understand where he's coming from. So, uh, help him where you can, um, call if you want some change, don't expect it because, uh, there's two people trying to help thousands. So, um, John, let's roll into, um, kind of, I want to kind of hear where you, uh, how you picked of what what you want to do with your career and like kind of growing up, you know, kind of how where you kind of morphed into where you are. So growing up, um, were you were you involved in the outdoors a lot or uh, were you not? And kind of going to that to where um, do you have a degree in biology? Yeah, my degree is in biology with a concentration in environmental sustainability. Okay, so talk about kind of where you grew up and how it morphed to getting this degree and what made you decide to get that degree? Um, so I, I grew up in the suburbs around Atlanta, you know, mm-hmm. Marietta. It's like 15 to, you know, two hours away from Atlanta, depending on traffic. Uh, but my backyard had, um, was butted up against like five or six other backyards. So we had this wooded area that no one really touched and that was, you know, just ran around, did stuff like that. And then I'd go into the next neighborhood and they had a pond and everything. Um, got, tried to get into Cub Scouts, but the Cub Scouts, where I was, they didn't do anything outdoorsy. They just like, let's go bowling or let's go to a hockey game. I said, that's fun. But that, that's not what I was trying to get into kind of stuff. Um, got into doing fish aquariums, building those up. And then uh, once I got into high school, it just turned into started doing a lot more fishing. Um, And I was getting chased off every golf course. You can think (laughs) of those those ponds I was fishing for, especially right when the spawning season goes, I was just like yanking them out. And yeah. um, 
college, George Southern got that, um, started doing biology. Then they uh, said they were going to start up with a concentration in environmental sustainability. And I was like, okay, I'll try that out. <laughs> um, started to learn a few things. Uh, then got out and got my first, uh, internship working as, uh, in the Bahamas as a shark wrangler. So that was, um, you know, a lot of free diving, going, reaching under ledges, pulling out nurse sharks, uh, stringing gill nets for lemons, uh, long lines for our uh, hammers, our nurse, like the larger hammers, nurses, and everything. We did hand line, um, like literally hand lines for uh, uh, bull sharks. We basically oh, got a nice big fish head, put it on a nice big hook with a steel gadget attached to a fishing, uh, not fishing buoy, but just a big buoy. Threw it out there. Once it got pulled, we just followed the buoy until it got tired. And then we pulled that in. I was wearing a camel pack at the time. Like the guys would make fun of me for wearing a camel pack because I was like always drinking water. But this female bull shark almost pulled me in. And fortunately, because I had that, they were able to grab me and pull me back in the boat before I went into, uh, let's just say, uh, shark infested waters. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So we, uh, we got her to a sandbar, flipped her over, and then put in a tracker onto her. Is, uh, yeah. Is that so, kind of what you're What kind of data were you looking at there? Yeah. That's what uh, I was going to ask. Yeah. Like what? No, yeah. I didn't. Uh, this was, uh, I wasn't, this was, yeah, I wasn't a doctorate. I wasn't a grad student, so I didn't get to see any of the data. All I know was shark over there, go get it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Do you guys ever? Do you guys What's, ever run into any sharks that were just like too, bit like just did not handle that one, or like oh, anything that I, was like, holy cow, like we're not going to be able to handle this one? No, not really. We were out there one day. We could like we were trying to. Um, now we're all free diving, all right. So it's just like all we got okay, is like yeah. a snorkel, and a mask, some fins, and. That's um, fun. You know, it's like, okay, let's go call in some sharks and see what we can do, get some measurements on some hammers. And so, you know, everyone just, you're out in the middle of the water with like chum in the water, you know, not, oh. not in the boat, you're in the water, cutting up fish, uh, trying to get them to come to you. But then we're not, we're not getting any hammerheads. They're like, all right. Um, no, after a while, I was like calling everybody in. And then lo and behold, a tiger comes like swimming Ooh. right by. Like, oh, that's probably why. <laughs> Back in the boat. <laughs> What's uh, did you have any sketchy situations out there? Oh, yeah, a few, but those are all weather related. You know, um, Mother Nature, she really likes to uh, change her uh, mood, you could say. So we were out going for uh, black tips. And um, we're on the north east side um, side of the North Island in Bimini. Now the research station's on the southern end of the southern island, so we got a long way to go. And this front comes in, and we're just <laughs> going like it's just you're in a little skiff, you're getting thrown everywhere, and. 
the thing's not cutting. So like I'm sitting like right on the bow trying to put as much weight in there so we can like hammer through the waves instead of bitten bounce around. And it is probably one of the most like rough times mm-hmm. at that moment. And, you know, I can cry about it or I can start laughing and I just start going nuts and laughing <laughs> every time. Like, yep, this sucks. I'm here, whatever, you know. And so, uh, got the nickname Mad Hatter from that one. But, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a fun time kind of stuff. So you had no close interactions out there with cutting up fish or, shark, or sharks coming up to you? Oh, I got close no. interactions, but it wasn't that bad. I, I, I was more worried about drowning than getting bit. You know? Did you did you ever have to do the old gill punch on any of them no. that they talk about? No. 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 Oh. You just, you just pat them on the nose. I'm like, sorry, you know, give them the good old stiff arm. Go away. And that was pretty much it. He's it. You're saying a lot that more cool. brave than me. Yeah. 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 Or just stiff arm the shark. They'll, they'll go away. Stiff yeah. arm this 10-foot tiger. <laughs> just no. push your head down. <laughs> I can't even hardly handle like three, four foot sharks. Like I, no, I can't even imagine. Dolphins swimming, swimming around me. I'm thinking about walking on water, getting I out of there. I watched Jaws. I watched Jaws when I was like two. <laughs> like I've been afraid. I think I think I, I got my parents had me watching Aliens while I was like growing up. You know. Yeah. Uh, Jaws was like, what? what? Why are they there? So, yeah. So, you, so like your first time out there, were you like, all right, I'm supposed to cut up this fish. It's going to be bloody and sharks. Like, were you a little sketched out at first? Or oh no, 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 no. My my first time wasn't like cutting up fish. It was um, we're with the doctorate student, and we're just taking the skiff going from one side of the island to the other. And she's like. If you guys want to hang on, oh, I can throw a rope over. You can hang off and see all the like sharks, like and rays and everything as we're driving by. And the only thing that's th- I'm thinking like Thunderball from John, uh, James Bond, where they like cut the guy and they throw him in the water and then they keep uh-huh. driving off and then all the sharks eat him. And I'm like, no, I'm good with that. No, well, maybe <laughs> next time. <laughs> what's so. the biggest fish you've uh, handlined in? Uh, well, that would biggest be that uh, bull shark, really, was the biggest thing I've pulled up. Do you know how long it was? Uh, I think it was like two and a half meters or something. Oh, like, wow. it was it it was big for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh. How uh, how long? So you guys kind of just chased the buoy until they got tired, and then um, when you pulled it up, how uh, long did it take? It fifteen minutes. Wow. It was it was it was a process. How was that workout pulling them up? Pretty tedious. Uh, sore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was probably um it was one of the coolest things I could I think of. And then um the problem is there was this group that was that was like they were uh doing their vacation, they were watching us do this. Mm-hmm. And they asked us to uh if they could put their go I I could use their they could this suction cup put it on the boat so they can watch us do the whole thing. And um, yeah, they didn't turn it on and okay. They're Swedish. And so I thought, Oh, you turned it on. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. And apparently they were telling me to turn it on <laughs> and I didn't. 
And so I'm like, yeah, this is a great shot. It's got it. And here you go. And he's like, nothing on there. He's like, yeah, next time you should turn it on. But I did. <laughs> so. so how long did you do the shark wrangling? Oh, it was just two months. Two months? Yeah. So uh, was two months enough or did you ever think about going back? Well, I had to pay 700 bucks a month just for uh, food and board. So I no job kind of thing. It's like I had to get back into the real world at that point. No. <laughs> it was it was this like an unpaid type thing yeah no no it's uh i paid for the internship company. okay there we go <laughs> okay <laughs> and then uh, but it, it was great it's uh if you ever got the experience and you were you know wanting to do it i yeah go ahead uh bimney shark labs uh then there's also the moat institute over in i think florida you can look up what uh you you brought up NOAH or NOAH internship? What was that? No, that was an internship. That was an actual job. Oh. Um, so I worked as a fisheries observer for NOAA. Um that was contracted. Uh NOAA had a contract with AIS. AIS hired me. Um, and that one I spent we you uh come in, you spent about a month and some change in a classroom learning literally everything about the fishing industry. Um, so the types of nets, uh, the types of fish you're going to be pulling up. And then after that, you know, they throw you on the boats and see who can sink and swim kind of stuff. I think the uh, turnover rate was almost half the, half our class quit within the first two months. Kind of oh, stuff. What, what were you guys doing there and where were you? So we were in the North Atlantic. Uh, you know, we go on these commercial fishing boats. We, you know, get all the uh, gear information. We get the locations of where they're fishing. And then we just start monitoring what they catch. Here's the bycatch. Here's what they say they caught. And then uh, we would send that data into NOAA so that NOAA can use that to um, deal with uh, seasons and what if, if they should shut them off and all that stuff with regulations that's super neat it's, uh, yeah. it's a it's a rough one yeah uh, yeah yeah no we um i've been on you know a boat that was sinking i've been on a boat that ran aground i've been <laughs> on i've been on one where uh a, a, a uh, two guys were fighting and one guy picked up an 11 pound block of like frozen squid and chucked it at the other guy's face. And like that guy ducked and then he just like missed me. The captain's just like, hey, cut it out, and then went back to work kind of stuff. Now, um, it's a mixed crowd, like a lot of different people. I think I've worked with uh guys from uh oh actually, yeah, Vietnam, Asia, uh, around Asia. I've worked with uh oh gosh, Portuguese, you um, know all over the U.S., Central America, South America. So, yeah, it's a big wow. community of anglers, uh, anglers out there. You said you were on a sinking boat. Oh, yeah. What? Tell, t walk me through that, because that in the ocean sinking boat does not sound like a favorable situation to me. Oh, you know, there was just a little hole in the boat, and uh, the lazarette yeah. got filled. You know, um, pull on a little bit of weight, sinks down. The rest of the boat ain't sinking, so we were fine. 
Um, we, uh, we decided when we were finally coming in after that trip, though, the, uh, the, um, there was a leak in the hydraulics and then we lost steering. Oh, so we were, we were just like, all right, hopefully we go and, uh, we get it right. But we, like, we lost steering the last few minutes of the thing. And it was just like slammed right into the dock and like, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> how far offshore would you go on these trips like oh yeah. it, for some of them it was a 12-hour trip just to get to the fishing grounds wow and then yeah that's 12 hours of doing nothing <laughs> all right and then once you get to the fishing grounds it's uh your whole your whole idea of uh you know day and night kind of stuff goes out the window because as soon as the uh, bag comes up and they drop, you know, you're working. And then you work your catch. Once you're done with the catch, you get another maybe hour to four of just sitting around. And the bag comes back up. And you do it all over again. So day, night, just keep going. So you're just, you're, you spend a week of getting only about three hours of maybe if you're lucky three hours of sleep at a time that's ground fishing uh now squid fishing you know you'll get you know they only are um at the bottom during the day so at night you get you can sleep but it's another get up go get up go like trying to get into a real rhythm is uh difficult were you uh were you actually helping them with that stuff, or were you there more taking data? No, my I, my job was to only focus on discards. So the fish they didn't want, I was weighing and measuring, and uh, they had their own responsibilities. I had my own. The main thing was to get the data safely and not cause any kind of uh, interference. Mm -hmm. um, so observe and report, but. That was it. Um, did I? Did you get any situations where they thought you were holding them up and they got a little mad? Or oh god, yeah, that that happened. <laughs> you could not. You, you you can't get away from that. As an observer, it didn't matter uh, if you were doing your job well or not. Um, yeah, you were you, you were working for the government, and uh, they're trying to make a buck, and you're in the way. So uh, like that's it's already in the Supreme Court right now. So you can uh, look up the uh, Chevron doctrine and everything else like that and see where that's going to go. But that uh, affects NOAA. Heck, it affects pretty much all of the uh, government three-letter agencies to see what that decision happens. What's the decision? What are they deciding on? So uh, the Chevron basically says these agencies have the ability to – I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to get it absolutely right but they can um it's the they can uh let me say it uh it's their discretion when it comes to some of the laws and everything else like that hmm. so they can tweak things a little bit and then it it does kind of uh interfere with a lot of people and so that can be upsetting Uh, so go and kind of talk about your, uh, salmon hatcheries in Alaska. The work, was that work or was that internship there? 
No, that was work too. That was, heck, that was one of those, that was one of those great jobs where uh, you could, all you had to do, once you got like approved, like they, they said you're hired. All you had to do was get to Cordova. Once you got to Cordova, Alaska, they paid for everything else. So (laughs) room, board, food, everything that it was they flip the dime on that, you know, so you're living high on the hog kind of stuff. You get out to these remote uh, salmon hatcheries and, you know, you put in eight hours of work. It's Alaska. You're going to have 24 hours of sunlight. So then you can spend the rest of your eight, like another eight hours, just hiking around in the woods, you know, chasing bears and everything else like that. Chasing and bears. then get your, get your eight hours of sleep and all that. Just keep doing that. I think uh, I started posting stuff on uh, my Instagram, and, and one of my buddies like, "Do you even have a job?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> just sun's up all the time." Yeah. Uh, so I can. What were you? Down. What were you doing? What was your What was your main job up there? Oh, it, it changes throughout the season. So in the beginning, we were uh, just doing the rearing aspect with the uh, fingerlings mm-hmm. and uh, just come in, check the pin, get rid of all the uh, mortalities. Uh, keep counts on those, look for any kind of disease, uh, feed. And then, you know, uh, I was working at a, um, can't talk too much into it, I guess, because I think there is some kind of proprietary stuff, but, you can think of it as like a biosafety level three uh, facility because we were, our whole thing was trying to keep um, diseases out of it. Cause you know, it's one of those tight areas. You don't like once one tank starts getting some kind of disease, it can easily jump from another to another, to another. And that could be a whole recruitment here. So were, you know. were you uh getting them to a certain length and releasing them or uh yeah so we get them and then once they got large enough to in their life cycles where they were ready to become small so we would release them at that point so that it was ocean ranching so we raised them up to where they uh were able to be released out into the ocean and then we let them out and then when it's time for them to come back well um we take a portion and then all the uh, commercial fishing guys would be out there and they'd catch the rest. Um, that was like a co-op kind of thing. And watching those openers was, that was some gnarly stuff. Cause you just see these stories. guys. Oh yeah. Uh, you plane come by. So there, there goes uh, the game warden. He's flying over to check, make sure no one's fishing. Then the bell goes off and then you got all these, Boats just going every which way, colliding into each other. Some guy jumps out, jumps onto the other boat. You hit me. And then it just starts like, you know, you hear, like, yeah, the stories are nuts. And these guys are all talking about how to like box somebody in so they can't fish this, that, and the other. Like, <laughs> pretty tricks everywhere. It's, it, it was it's one of those like awesome things to watch. Is it like awesome. commercial? Or is it a lot of like, like outdoorsmen, yeah. anglers, or is it mostly commercial in that area that you were in? So one week would be commercial, then the weekend warriors would come in, and then 
they would leave and the commercial guys would come in. So it, both kind okay. of stuff. Up there, how do you uh, how would they restock the hatcheries? Oh, so when um, that uh, recruitment year comes back, uh, we have a barrier saying put out, and then like a door would open, and we'd have them come in, and then uh, we just pull a few out. And once we got the amount that we needed we would then start doing egg take from that. So we'd separate a male, female, um, and then go from there. So were you, you were uh, bringing the fish from an egg to, uh, um, what'd you say, to a... Uh, smelt. Smelt. Is that what you're doing there? Yeah, we bring them all, like, we bring them all the way up. And then once, then we release them, and then they would come right back when they're ready to uh, sexually mature and want to reproduce. And then we taken a portion of that to use for our next year that's pretty neat yeah yeah hey if you want to do it uh prince william sound uh aquaculture corporation or company i forget i forget what the c is but it's pizwack and um if if you get uh if they uh hire you all you have to do is make it to a good ova and then they take care of you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they got, they got, they got five or six like hatcheries. So you go out in the middle of like the middle of Alaska, and you're basically uh, all your supplies are either flown in by plane or brought in by barge. So you're out in the sticks. If anything bad happens, it's a helicopter ride. Oh wow. No. Did you work with anyone or was it kind of you were the manager of your area? No, no. I, I was just at fish tech. I didn't like, I, you know, again, one of those jobs where to do what you're told kind of aspect and mm-hmm. just learn. So I think my first one, uh, we had seven, eight people, maybe 10 at my first site. And then when we were doing egg take at the uh, next site, there was almost like 30 people. Wow. Do you guys have any problems with bears up there at all trying to get into your facilities or? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like bears, like, you know, you got a bunch of uh, salmon in this pond, like your holding mm-hmm. tank and it's out in the side and bears are going after it all the time. So <laughs> it was easy, but honestly, after egg take, I, I just, go right after that i go right over i made this little blind uh, and i was probably you know 100 yards from the facility going up this other creek and i just sit in my little blind watching bears go by like feeding all the time oh wow yeah it probably wasn't the smartest thing because i'm like covered in fish guts you know but i gotta i gotta take a lot of i got a lot of good photos my uh, parents were pissed, but oh well. <laughs> big, big, like, like you're looking at some massive bears. I'm gonna guess. No, not really. Black bears, you know. Oh, they were black bears. Yeah. Not. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're They're not still bears. We're not talking about grizzlies or anything. No. <laughs> uh, uh, just, just black bears, and honestly, I think the black bears in Georgia were much larger than the ones up here, kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, but. You know they're they're more afraid of you than you are of them. Mm-hmm. You know, just you know, stand your ground. You know, but uh, 
yeah, I got pretty uh, a lot of good shots with those uh, stuff. And it's just my mom was upset that I was using a camera phone, not a telephoto lens. Yeah. <laughs> Did you uh, your time off? You said you got to hike around. Did you get to see some beautiful country up there? And oh yeah, what was, what yeah, was some I, of the you, you couldn't throw a rock without seeing anything like it, it was like uh, everything was a good picture. Yeah. Yeah. So I a lot of wildlife. I'm guessing. Oh yeah, so when first, uh, season starts coming in, the eagles start showing up, and there's like more eagles than any other bird out there, and oh, you're wow. just hearing them go off crazy. They look they look great from a profile, you know, but once they look at you, it's just like whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that's completely not what I was expecting. So I got there. I didn't have any camo or anything, and of course they are, you know, they're they're more uh, sight predators. So I'm trying to be sneaky and try to get some really good shots of them, but they're they're uh, They see me before I even get close and they'll fly off until um, then. I, I, I got to a point that I was getting pretty clever. I got some, finally got some good shots. And if, as soon as I got my camo though, they all flew out. That's when the <laughs> bears came in and I was like, all right, now the bears are here. I well, they don't see that well, but they can smell me better than anything. So then I'm putting in an order for the uh, scent blockers and everything else. It wasn't until uh, we started doing egg take where I was basically covered in fish guts, and I was like, there was no way to clean off the smell. That's when I was really getting the good shots at the bears. <laughs> <laughs> they were comfortable. They were like, yeah. ah, just dead fish. Ah, like, oh, this smells great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, when you say eagles, are they bald eagles or are they golden eagles or a mix of both? No, they were bald. They were bald eagles. How many would you see at a time, you'd think? Oh, there were hundreds. Oh, wow. They were everywhere. Yeah, I, it, it, I, just all you're hearing is that once you hear a bald eagle, like, it, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I've heard them before. Yeah. So I can't, I can't imitate them, but that, like, it's – Gunner's pretty good. You should ask him to try. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself on here. I try to do a bald eagle screech. No. <laughs> no, no. I had some great times out there. Uh, just never going to carry bear mace ever again. <laughs> Not worth it? Oh, no. we. Um, I was going to a 12, 12-hour uh, hike. And I'm like four hours in, and a branch caught the uh, safety pin <laughs> of the bear mace, and it just blew up all over my back. And I'm sitting there, like just like I got the video still. Like I am, I am like my, my whole back. It's coming over, like I'm all covered in bear mace, and I am absolutely. I'm not at this moment. I'm not pissed that I'm covered in bear mace. I'm like. Thought this stuff was supposed to burn. I'm like, this feels like Ben Gay. It's tasting like cayenne pepper. I'm like, you know, like I, like I was hoping that this stuff would be like something that'd be a deterrent. Like, I don't want to be seasoned myself if I'm getting eaten by a bear. Well, 15 minutes later, I'm eating those words. I'm jumping from every stagnant pond I can think of, trying to get back to uh, the hatchery, and I, uh, I have to decide do i want to climb over this mountain 
or hike around it. Um, one's a lot. Uh, so I ended up climbing a mountain covered in bear maze, jumping from stagnant, stagnant pond to stagnant pond. Uh, and then spending about, oh God, like two hours in a cold shower bathing in old, <laughs> old milk and uh, Dawn soap. <laughs> Uh, the next day we have a, a safety meeting about how to use bear maze. <laughs> <laughs> did they use you for an example? Uh, no, no, no. It was like, well, we don't want to single anybody out here. I'm like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> bear maze blowing up on his back. That is great. <laughs> I would have thought it would like, I understand what your mindset was. Like, man, this, this doesn't even hurt at all like maybe it's yeah, like a ghost pepper on my back or something <laughs> but, <laughs> you know oh, no. after like after 15 minutes I'm like okay now i get it but still it's like took 15 minutes yeah like, <laughs> what's gonna happen in the 15 minutes if you need to use yeah. it hey yeah, time out man you gotta wait 15 minutes right here before yeah, you attack yeah. me you might get a cramp <laughs> <laughs> Make him run to a few trees. <laughs> I found a, I found pepper spray one time on the side of the road, and I picked it up when I was a kid, and I shook it. It said shake well before you use it, and I pushed it. And uh, so when it fell, I guess it uh, impacted the top. So when I pushed it, it all like ran out the side and down my arm and my hand. That was oh, a man. miserable experience. I can only imagine just having it down your back. I was sitting there coughing, trying to shake it off, and I was just splashing it back on me. Yeah, that was a oh, miserable man. experience. Oh, yeah. No, once it gets into your eyes and your sinuses, it's like, oh, great. Yeah, it was bad. I, I remember that. And I was, my mom was so mad when I came home. <laughs> no, my mom was pissed when I found her out of her purse and I just sprayed it in her purse. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm never get, I'm not bringing any mace or anything around to you if I ever hang out with you. So I'll note that down too. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So you brought up Georgia. What was your, uh, what did you do there? Internship, job? Georgia? Uh, yeah, the Georgia, Georgia Aquarium. What? Oh, the Georgia Aquarium. Yeah, I, uh, I did a volunteer aspect as um, teaching about ocean pollution and um, sustainable fishing. Um, basically, it's like this is farm raised salmon versus Alaskan caught salmon, uh, which one's actually more uh, sustainable better for the environment and everyone's like oh it's the farm raised i'm like yeah joke's on you it's the uh you know uh wild caught and everything else like that it was like a good time taught a lot of kids about how uh how long it takes for things to break down in the ocean and stuff like that and, but oh i was right next to one of those like little repeating like little story book uh -huh. things going on and it just go on a repeat every 15 minutes and it was <laughs> i didn't notice when people were around i was doing my whole song and dance but when we got those lull periods and i'm just you know just hearing it over and over and over again and i was like all right please just change it please <laughs> God. dreaming about it having nightmares hearing it every night Oh God! Cruel, cruel you all get those. Uh, you guys still get the nightmares of like, oh my God, I missed the test or I'm late for class. 
So, uh, not anymore, but yeah. I have nightmares. Like I, I slept in for work and I wake up and it's like five thirty in the morning. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's like something like, uh, I'm, uh, rusty, your anchor. And this is MS Finn BC. Uh-huh. And, uh, just, uh, I was like, I think they was talking about Jeff Corwin or some guy. He's like, I'm here at the Georgia Aquarium, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, when are they going to show the episode of this thing? <laughs> over and over and over again. It was uh, it was just one of that. And then there was a light that they had perfectly placed that it, if I looked at the tank too long, it was coming just to the side of the eye where you get like a nice like migraine. Yeah. Like, yeah. But still, it had, it had the best – like spot where I could actually take a nap next to the tank when no one was around. It was, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it had its pluses and its minuses, pros and cons. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. That's funny. I've, I've heard that's pretty, or I'm trying to take Abby over there eventually. She's been wanting to go back, but is, I mean, it's a pretty neat over there, the Georgia aquarium. Yeah. It's massive, man. It's got the yeah. uh, whale sharks and everything else like that. You got, oh, wow. uh, got beluga whales you got the dolphin exhibits like they they went all out they tried to make it like the world's largest aquarium i think someone in um saudi arabia beat it too <laughs> oh, oh <money. laughs> yeah but no it's 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 big it's really big uh how big is a whale shark exhibit um i think it's the size of a football field just the oh, tank yeah. It seemed like a figure eight so that the uh, sharks change direction constantly. So uh-huh. uh, when you see uh, your typical tanks are all like circular. So after a while, all those sharks get a nice little curve in their spine. But because it's a figure eight, they keep going back and forth. And in the mornings, you'll get the uh, they'll get the they actually have trainers that go in there and they'll do. um like calisthenics with the sharks. So they'll go with oh. krill and like little squirt bottles and they'll get the sharks to go in different directions and make sure they stay active and everything else like that. How big are the whale sharks that are in that tank? No, well, they're bigger than they were now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, they were, no, I wouldn't say they were a bus yet, but they were, they were getting up there. Oh, wow. That's cool. That I've always cool. been uh, very interested in whale sharks. I don't know what it is, but growing up, just uh, anytime we could read about them in science, I was like, "Wow!" Oh. Yeah. So. It's like uh, reading like fun facts, like uh, a blue whale can make a fart bubble the size of a horse. <laughs> like that. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I read it. And I'm like, how do you how do you how do you measure this one out? <laughs> some guy was underneath there like mm, that's about mm. so, yeah. uh, now, now I'm just like is that like a Mongolian horse or an Arabian <laughs> horse like, <laughs> come on you, you gotta give me some like interest here yeah. we're talking the, about a miniature the, horse the Budweiser the, yeah. the Budweiser Clydesdale Clydesdale <laughs> heck I think after some Mexican food I can probably compete with them in situations yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> you hardly even eat Mexican food anymore. Oh, I found my places I can eat that. I don't know if it's a yeah. spice or what, but man, there are certain places I know it's not happening. Not going. No. Uh, you gotta have some spice for life, man. 
I'm not saying that. I'm saying like a certain spice, like oh. something they do use in their food. Because there's some places, man. It gets what's, rough. what's the food like in the Bahamas? I do want to circle back to that. Good. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to ask yeah. you about that. I was going to yeah, ask. Uh, you know, a lot of fish, um, plantains and everything. The, um, but with from the sh- from the lab and everything we're eating a lot of rice and beans nice. you know <laughs> but no it's like you know you, if you like fish if you like uh fried plantains and stuff like that mom's is nice yeah love yeah. fish I, I i would say if they say oh yeah the uh the citric acid cooks the ceviche for you and everything yeah yeah no <laughs> your, your guts are not the same guts as the guy that's lived there his whole life. So beware. Be, beware. All right. If they say the citric acid will cook the food for you. Nope. <laughs> Don't, do it. Don't do it. No, get it steamed. Get it, you know, sure to. Get properly for you because you don't have the same gut biome as these guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Made that mistake once, never again. Huh? So, uh, I want to hear about your flyboarding management gig you had. And uh, for everyone that's uh listening, we're not talking about like a fishing or anything, you were talking about where uh, I'll, I'll let John explain what it is since he had the excitement. Uh, so- working once I did the, uh, once I got out of the Bahamas and everything, I tried to find some jobs. There was a local one in, uh, Greensboro. This guy had, uh, was trying to start up a flyboard and come for the summer. Basically flyboarding is this board that has like two water ski boots to it and with two jets it's attached to this long fire, uh, fire hose that's attached to a jet ski. It's about, 215 horsepower and you just rip that thing up and it just launches you up in the air (laughs) and then you're swinging around doing tricks and everything else like that um yeah so we did that for a summer um basically going around from dock to dock getting people to you know teaching them how to flyboard and things like that we we started off we were just you know okay we're up there we're having things he's like you know I want you guys to be a little bit better. So he uh, paid to have us go and see a actual professional. And he was teaching us how to do the uh, backflips and stuff yeah. like that. And so we would go and we get up in the air and we start doing our circle. And then we, the thing was, is then we go from all the way up and then circle as fast as possible, right towards like the back end of the uh, jet ski. And then as soon as we're getting close, we then, like just straighten up and then go straight up and then do our little flip right then and there. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Uh, I got kind of close to the jet ski once or twice and I freaked out the guy <laughs> on there. Um, one of my buddies, he actually did the flip and he came back and he, he hit the hose with his, uh, big toe and it was a compound dislocation. So he didn't break the bone, but, it just went from here to like over here yeah. and I was sticking out. So he, he got put in the moon boot after that. <laughs> but yeah, like learning to do the backflip. If you didn't 
flip to one side or the other, you just come right back and uh, hit that hose. And it's not soft at all. <laughs> like, I think I got a sprained neck after uh, <laughs> after a bit. And it's like, shouldn't you be wearing, like, uh, something? Like, no, no, no. Hey, look over here. No, I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> Did you have to get people on with you and get, like, for rides and stuff? or? Oh, yeah, no. They, they got to they gotta be in the little boot. And it's like, if you want to go up, thumbs up. If you want to go down, thumbs down. If you want to stay where you're at, right right there. You know? And we just say, you know, look to the top of the trees. As soon as you look down, you're going to go down. And, you know, most majority of people got up within five, ten minutes. You know? It was, it was fun. You know, some people, I thought they were, like, going to be, like, all the way up there. It's like okay, and then like they didn't want to go all the way up there because <laughs> you, know, you know you're like 45 feet in the air. You're 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 looking over some of the houses. Like, all right, cool. Wow. Uh, yeah, Lee. And did that a lot of that depend on uh, um, like uh, the jet ski kind of to how yeah, far you can get power. So the more water you can get through those jets, the uh, higher you can go to a point. Once you run out of hose, you're not going any higher. Yeah. So was like, that hooked up to the um, what is it? What is it? The back on the jet ski? What is that called? I forget the uh, manifold. Yeah. Was it hooked up to that? Is that yeah. What? So so they um, so we take out the reverse function. You know that they uh, yeah they put in um, about three bolts and you just stick it, twist it, and then it's on. And you just have the uh, hose running to the front, and then you'll have a, a tether that you tie it to that front cleat on the bow, and then it's running out to the front of there. And wow. that's it. I saw the video of that one guy where they were doing like the, they got the, um, <clears throat> they like took people four rides on it, and like they stood on the board with them. Oh and no! They no, took off. They yeah. took off, and like the guy was heavier than they thought. <laughs> they were dragging his head underwater. They were like belly down, dragging it. It's all over Facebook and stuff, TikTok. It's hilarious. Every time I see it, I laugh. I'm like, that'd be me. I'll drown doing that. <laughs> nah, I think we did. Uh, we did a video of it, and I think it might be still on like Facebook or something. It's like flyboarding Greensboro, Oklahoma. Uh, not Oklahoma. God, Flyboro in Greensboro, uh, Oconee. Like Oconee. Oh, hold on. John, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing everything you had. It was awesome to hear about your experiences. It sounds like you've had uh, quite the jobs and quite the internships. And that you've gone from shark wrangling to being close to bears. And now you're OKC. So that's kind of quite the change in scenery and positions. But, uh, that's awesome to hear. Mm -hmm. So uh, thanks for coming on. Um, like I said, once again, kind of state where people can find out this information about Oklahoma City uh, fisheries and where they can go and uh, where you guys are having your classes again. I know we talked about it earlier, but just in case people, people forgot. Oh, yeah. No, um, just go to, well, first off, Fish OKC on Facebook. Then you can go to okc.gov backslash fishing. Um, and if you're not in Oklahoma City, always look into um, the uh, Department, uh, Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation. 
and they should have a roster of places that would be within your area. Awesome. And uh, thank you for your time and your uh, what you've done to Oklahoma City. I know you've only been there three to four years, but uh, from what I've gathered, it's uh, you've put a lot into it, and I hope that uh, for the best for you. And- <laughs> we appreciate it. Hey, yeah, he had to be on the podcast. We appreciate your time. We really do. Um, sorry it was kind of last minute, but uh, it turned out to be pretty interesting, and I appreciate yeah, you coming really on. Really interesting. So, yeah, no yeah. problem.